five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Okay, well, we got a lot to think about today. Okay, let's get over to Tom Fishburn, the sea of sameness. We should differentiate our brand just as long as we differentiate it in the exact same way as all of our competitors. You know, and that, there's a lot to that, you know. There's a lot to copying what's working, right? I have a friend, Donnie Beaver, and he uh, he pioneered a lot of things in the cleanup industry, uh, industrial cleanup mainly, and um, and he's founded his own company. He, I mean, he had his own company, and then he went through some changes and uh, wasn't as much fun anymore, so he started a company with his kids, Hale and Hardy, not the, that's not the kids' names. That's the name of the company, Hale and Hardy. Josh and Troy, those are the kids. Anyway, so uh, so he um, one of his one of his former competitors, you know, got hold of him and said, you know, we'd like to partner with you now because we were always trying to compete with you, and we all we could do, the best we could do, was copy what you were doing because you were so far ahead of everybody, and we'd like to be part of that. <laughs> So that was a really nice compliment. I worked with um, about six of the industrial safety companies because Lab Safety had uh, had come from kind of come from nowhere, Wisconsin company uh, based in Janesville, and they had um, they had changed the game because they 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 recognized that a lot of the safety buying was being done by the office manager who was probably a woman. And they decided to make a uh, an industrial catalog that looked a lot more like um, some you know consumer friendly catalog. Nice color pictures, simple copy, make it easy to use, make the whole process uh, very comfortable. And and basically that was their message that we can help you comply with safety requirements while also being comfortable with it. So every time I'd get a call from another safety company, they would uh, want to look like lab safety. And instead, I would suggest that maybe we should um, we should, you know, find out about each other a little bit, see what their distinctives were. Um, for example, one of the companies had a team of safety engineers on staff on the phone, and um, you wouldn't get them on the first you know, when you first called in, but if you had a, a safety application that was complicated, they would they would transfer you over there. And so I suggested that perhaps we should make that much more prominent, show the pictures of the safety engineers, give a little bio, talk about if you have a really if you have a really challenging safety puzzle that you might want to give us a call because we have the technical expertise to handle that. I'm not sure lab safety didn't have that expertise probably they did but it was that wasn't something that they were talking about because it kind of went against their brand positioning uh, there was another catalog that I worked with and um, and they gave a lot of money to charity they had a real legitimate uh, cause and they gave all their profits every year to, to charity and it was often more than a million dollars a year and uh, they had a picture of a of an old 16 millimeter I think it was movie projector and uh, saying that you could get you could get the story of the 
companies giving on a uh, on a a film. <laughs> and I said to the founder, you know, nobody does film. You, you want to put that on like video, you know, video stuff that you could at least watch. But I said, you know, people don't take the time to read the copy. They just think you're selling projectors or something. They don't know what you're doing. Why don't you put a little picture of the of the village, you know, that you're helping uh, or the buildings you're building or something like that with all the kids around, you know. And uh, he, I love he always would say, you think that would work, John? I said, yeah, I think so. And so um, a couple months later, it was really funny. A couple months later, my list broker pulled that out of his briefcase when, he, when we were visiting. And he said, what do you think of this? You know, what do you think of this, uh, this guy, you know? And it turns out he was actually building little church buildings in third world countries for villages. And I said, well, more importantly, what do you think of it? Because he was Jewish, a Jewish friend, you know, and, you know, I don't know, maybe it was offensive or something. Um, he said, well, you know, I kind of like it. I kind of like buying from somebody who who believes that they're accountable to a higher power in the universe. <laughs> he said, I think that they're maybe a little less likely, I mean, a little more likely to play fair. I said, well, they might also be likely to, not that this was was what the, they were very fair they were they were wonderful um i had just gone out on my own like that month that that they hired me and when we finished they just handed me a check for the whole price they said you know you probably could use the money <laughs> well yeah it was i i only had three kids and another one on the way and you know we had to keep them fed so uh, they were wonderful to work for but uh but the uh but the list broker he liked it and I said, now, have you ever gotten that catalog before? And he said, oh, yeah, I've gotten it for years. I said, did you know that that's what they did with their profits? He said, no, I had no idea. I said, right, exactly. So sometimes you can be distinctive in ways that you're, things you're doing already. Um, in, in David Ogilvy's book, Confessions of an Ad Man, he talks about landing the shell account and how he did it and how he flew to England to do it. It's a good story, but that's not the point. The point was uh, he came up with the shell answer man and uh, and shell had um, had these points about the care that they took in producing their gasoline. And of course, everyone else took the same care, <laughs> put the same additives in, but they hadn't taken credit for it. And so all of a sudden, the Shell Answer Man gave Shell this distinctiveness that was not even distinctive. Uh, or is that a differentiation that wasn't even different? Tom makes a point about that differentiation and, and differentiation and, and what? Let me see. It's down here a little bit. Differentiation or distinctiveness could be complementary or could be competitive <laughs> but i don't know they both sound pretty different they don't sound very distinctive to me they sound pretty similar they sound like synonyms but i'm sure there's a lot of theory behind all that so uh he says you know when he was a, a like a you know a second tier brand um he said he would try to do stuff that would stand out but as soon as it worked then like a different bottle shape or a different color that no one had ever used or something like that. As soon as it caught on, everybody else would copy it. 
you know, like right now you can get like core chips that say gluten free or, um, you know, some pure sugar candy that says gluten free. <laughs> that may be true, but it may not be good for you. It doesn't mean it is, um, you know, and that and those those little labels, you know, 100 percent fruit, no sugar added. You know, sugar got demonized, gluten got demonized, eh, switch around, you know. So people will copy it no matter what. People have copied my uh, modeling pitch. I, you know, I, I was ready for that, but I thought they would at least try to figure out what we were doing, but they didn't. But that's the point. The point is you don't have to know what the competitor is doing. You can just copy it uh, at the level that the consumer is going to see it. So try to be different, right? Here. Brand camp, ta-da, looks like a light bulb. Too risky, too different, too provocative, too unconventional, too unfamiliar, too untested, too unfeasible, too expensive. Wait, where's the point of difference? <laughs> yeah, okay. And um, that's, you know, one of the great parts about mail is you can test some of these things before you roll them out to everybody, unlike TV advertising or something like that. You can actually do like a cover test or you can do an internal signature to test a new uh, product concept. And we've done that over and over for many clients. Here's a pretty good article. Seven things you must know before scanning a QR code. And I'm going to flip it around so that you understand some of the marketing implications of that. This is from AARP. And um, mainly she says that um, mainly Catherine says that crooks have been using QR codes for years. There was a pretty good story. One was about how somebody would put fake parking tickets and say, just pay this ticket, just scan this QR code. And then they'd keep the money. But, you know, you weren't going to get a subpoena on it either. Uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always amazed at how clever criminals can be and think man if you just would go to work in an ad agency you could make a fortune <laughs> anyway so fraudsters have been around um avoid suspicious qr codes now this is something to think about because i used a qr code I, i'm gonna try and i don't think i can get this to come up but i'll give it a try um because i know where it's hiding and i had the option i was gonna do a you know, normally I just do trackable QR codes, but I was going to be using it in front of people. And I thought, you know, what might be better? I used this at the WDMA um, at our little get together on Thursday. And um, I don't know how, what's a better way to, I guess it's, it, it's perfectly visible to me, but it might not be to you. But I had the choice of a trackable QR code, which takes the user shows the user like a bitly like a, a compressed qr code it keeps the qr code simple although i don't see a real benefit to having a simple qr code but then there was another setting and so i actually created a second one and this one that i just showed you goes just to wdma.org join and the reason i switched it was because if i'm telling somebody go to this qr code and I give them the URL. And even though the other one would get you to the same exact place, and so once you clicked it, you would you would realize that it was legitimate. Okay, that's great. But 
that's great but what the AARP article is suggesting is that you might want to you might want to check that QR code first before you scan it I mean what happens is is that it comes up on your phone and then it shows you the link and then you can hit it there's a it's a kind of a two-step that's required that's one of the changes that they made when they put them on right in your phone camera in 2017 was the second step because I had used downloadable QR code um, readers and they would go right to whatever link you wanted and I like that actually better because I didn't have to well the Motorola QR code reader um, has a, like a copy the link or a go to the link and and it's just two icons and I could never remember which one was which and so I was always not going to the QR code I wanted to but the point is is that you want to make sure that the QR code when it's read by the camera doesn't look too odd okay so if you're gonna send somebody to WDMA.org make sure it says WDMA.org and you can always do a subcode uh, landing page within your URL right or even you could you might even do a you know like a, a pre uh, subdomain so you could do you know join.wdma.org google does this all the time like calendar.google.com or mail.google.com or i think that's just gmail but they have you know they have meet.google.com or hangouts.google.com they do that a lot so make it make it understandable to the user so that they don't pause when they've already scanned it but they go and continue to load it. I think that's a really important point. That's why I wanted to cover this article. <clears throat> All these other things are this is the parking sticker story. I don't know that there's seven points to make here except to be a little bit cautious. Uh, probably don't pay uh, through a QR code too often. Avoid using a QR code to pay a bill. I think that's pretty sane. Uh, if a code is stuck to the side of a napkin dispenser and looks suspect, ask for a menu. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but here's a tip that they added. You can take your QR code, you can take your password, like your Wi-Fi password, that might be a bunch of gibbledygook gibberish, and you can QR it. Um, just go to a QR code generator, and you can, but again, you, you, you probably want to generate the right code, because in this case, you're not taking somebody to a URL. But you, I'm going to try this anyway. You can create a QR code and stick it on the side of the refrigerator or something so nobody has to remember your Wi-Fi password at your house you know they can just take their phone and click on there and then and and say copy that's a that's a time when it does make sense to copy and then paste it in when uh, when they want to log on and then they don't have to type it in themselves and Catherine is from has or has worked for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel so that's pretty cool I like that she's from Milwaukee and also served in Iraq okay here's where I wanted to get to and maybe we should actually wait till next time because we've gone a little bit we've gone a pretty long time so I'm gonna save this for tomorrow Amazon lures advertisers away from Facebook after Apple's privacy shift and what to do about the rising cost of digital advertising which has gone up like 200 percent in the last four or five months 
Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.